This event is brought to you by Real Estate IQ, the number one in deal finding. 45,000 leads every month. And right now, uh, without further ado, I'll be giving the floor to our speaker for today from Better Flips. We got Chris Anderson. Chris? Hey, guys. So today's topic is we're talking about doing hard things and success. Um, so if you're following along with the series, we've been talking about some uh, business goals and how to grow a business. And we're talking about, and we've talked about like key performance indicators and specifically goal setting and how to stack uh, goals and, um, and using key performance indicators to grow your business and create something. I want to go back kind of to what, where I start. And if you pay attention to uh, my coaching and you've seen any of my other videos, uh, I talk, I often talk about how I get paid because I do hard things, uh, not because what I do is easy. See, here's the thing. Um, in our business, there's a lot of people that will tell you a story about how to make money in this business, right? And that story always kind of goes something like this. Um, it always goes along the lines of, uh, you know, there's YouTube videos out there and it's real estate investing made easy lesson one. Um, just pay for my program, uh, build your wealth, the ultimate beginner's guide, real estate investing made easy, uh, turnkey investing, right? These things talk about um, uh, how we can uh, build wealth without really working that hard. Uh, watching YouTube videos is easy, right? It's it's easy, man. Like, and I love the stories that they tell. Uh, I love that they they talk about this world where real estate investing is simple, and um, you don't even have to try that hard. And you can, and there's no hard parts, and it's all fun. And uh, we just go pick out tile, and then we make a lot of money. But here's the thing: that's not really true. Listening to podcasts, you know, I'm a big fan of Bigger Pockets. Bigger Pockets has. Uh, one of the best pot real estate podcasts out there. Uh, Brandon Turner, uh, I don't know him personally, but he seems like a great guy. Uh, they have a phenomenal platform that they help encourage people to get into real estate investing. Um, here, however, um, many people miss the message that they have, which is that real estate investing isn't easy. It's profitable. Those are different things, right? Um, I don't make a lot of money in real estate because I because it's easy. I make a lot of money in real estate because it's hard. Because if it was easy, then everybody would make money at it. I make money because uh, when other people are resting and other people are sleeping and other people aren't don't have any systems, I don't rest. I have systems. I work the deals, uh, and I do it in a way that's deliberate and measurable and creates a result for my family and I year after year, right? Our year after year income, year over year income goes up. Um, even in 2020, I've basically taken off, I'm just moving the video over so I can just see it and see you guys. Uh, I, I basically took off about four months this year and it had no financial impact on me, right? We hung out and I had a lot of rentals and that was fun. And so we didn't have any negative consequences. My uh, property pro property manager or project manager is still in, in place. We still have projects going on. My assistant comes to work every day and you know what? It's a good life, but I built that, right? I built a system. And now that we're starting to re-engage with it, you know, yes, uh, yesterday we had our first close. Actually, I shouldn't say that. Uh, in the last 30 days, we've had two closings. So uh, in the last 30 days, I've made $20,000 in wholesale 
fees. Uh, I have another one on Monday, right? I have, uh, and we acquired our, uh, two rental properties. So my point is, is that, is that listening and watching videos, that's easy, right? But that's not a business. Um, uh, buying subscriptions to deal finding services is easy, right? Like Real Estate IQ, I, I honestly don't know much about their platform. They operate in Texas. I'm in New Jersey. They don't, they're not in New Jersey yet. And I'm likely to be a subscriber. Uh, but here's the thing. Anything that tells me a story about how everything gets easier if you just buy this thing, I, I'm always careful of, right? Because I want to know, I, and I buy services. I don't have a problem buying services that produce leads and stuff, but it's about what we do with those leads, right? All that data exists in the world. So packaging that data and bringing it to me can be good for me because it can save me time. And that's what Real Estate IQ does. They can save you time, but if you don't do anything with it, then you're just spending 20 bucks a month or whatever the fee is. Uh, collecting emails that we never use. I can't tell you how many times I give out my business card. I actually stopped bringing business cards to meetup events because I would give out so many uh, that I just said, I'm like, hey man, if you want to find me, there's there's at least 50 people in the room that have my cell phone number. You know, I, I was in a, uh, uh, an event in uh, Garwood, New Jersey. There's like, it's like a 300 person event. It's real estate. Uh, it's a real estate networking group. And it's the biggest one in New Jersey. And I'm there and I was talking to some people and they're like, hey, I really need your card. I'm like, listen, there's, I, you know, people who know who I am, just ask somebody and they'll send you my phone number or just text me and I'll, I'll give you my phone number right now. You just text me. But uh, collecting emails that never get used is, is pointless right? People are, I can't tell you how many people are building a buyer's list. I don't know what that means, right? I have a buyer, I have hundreds and hundreds of phone numbers and email addresses. When I want to wholesale a property, I typically make between three and seven phone calls. I don't need hundreds of emails and phone numbers because I know who buys and who doesn't. So I just focus on the people that buy. Looking at Zillow and dreaming, this is uh, not productive. I use Zillow every day or, and you might have a different one you like, maybe it's realtor.com or whatever, but I use the MLS services. Uh, I like Zillow because the platform's pretty intuitive and searching is easy. And honestly, I like to click around the map and just look at the, uh, and look at the bubbles and the pictures. Uh, but looking at Zillow and dreaming is, is easy, but it's not productive. Setting unrealistic goals. Uh, this is my uh, least favorite thing that new real estate investors do. And they start out by saying, and, and I can tell when they do it, because they say, I say, oh man, that's awesome. You're getting started in real estate. What do you want to do next year? Like, what are you looking to accomplish the next year? I want to make a million dollars. Oh, okay. I didn't make a million dollars last year, but I guess it's possible, right? I mean, it's not impossible to make a million dollars, but here's what I know about a million dollars is that it's not as much money as you think. And, uh, what I want to create is a million dollars worth of net worth, right? I want to create wealth for my family. Income just creates taxes. Uh, but you don't know enough about business yet to know that that's a problem, right? If you're paying attention to the, uh, you know, what's going on in national politics, uh, Vice President Biden is, wants to raise taxes enormously, right? He wants to raise taxes on everybody who earns more than 400000 So let me just tell you this. If that happens, I can promise you I'm going to make $399,000, and then I'll, you have lots of other assets and I'll have lots of assets, I, but I won't increase my income. I'm not going to pay 60% tax. So my point of that story is that 
it's not just about income. It's about wealth, like understanding what your goals are, making them realistic. If you make 50 grand, let's figure out how to make a hundred next year in the next 12 months. Wouldn't that be awesome? If you make a hundred grand, wouldn't it be awesome to make $200,000 next year? Wouldn't that be altering for you, right? Wouldn't that change your environment? And by the way, that is achievable. It is unlikely that if you're making $50,000 a year and you have $50,000 to invest in your real estate business, that you're going to turn it into a million dollars in a year. It's unlikely. It's not impossible because I can tell you stories about people I know who've done it, but it is unlikely. So let's start out with a goal that we can achieve and then we'll crush that goal and then we'll move on to the next one. Uh, reading real estate investing books. I read real estate investing books uh, every week. Uh, I probably try to read, um, I'm going to say an average of two books a month uh, on real estate. Now, I read books that are not about real estate. Um, if you get to know me and you, you, you spend um, some time with me or you listen to some of my stuff, I can tell you about how I've gone to seminars on how to make a menu for a restaurant. Right. It was a three hour seminar. I paid 300. It was $275, I think, to go to the seminar. It was a three hour seminar taught by a guy all about how to create a restaurant menu that is both profitable and um, desirable by your clientele like, and desired by restaurant patrons. Here's the thing. I don't own a restaurant and I don't intend to own a restaurant. So why would I go to a seminar on how to build a menu? Because there's a lot to be learned from businesses that aren't real estate, right? There's a lot of information that's out there and a lot of knowledge that transfers from one industry to another. That process is what's going to help create um, real opportunity for you, right? Just understanding what's happening out there and understanding other businesses will change your results um, in your real estate business. So if we know that all these things are easy and this, the topic today is about doing hard things, um, we really probably should talk about, well, first we should commit to doing hard things, right? Because these things are easy, but, but here's the thing about all of these things, none of them will make you money on their own. And at the end of the day, my business and your real estate business is about creating income and wealth for your families and you, right? What that does for you. Um, this is a, uh, um, this pattern of behavior, right? Like we have, uh, I have a couple that comes to, uh, so I run a networking event in New Jersey and it's free. I don't charge anything. And, um, we, we kind of paused for this COVID time. So, uh, we haven't had it, but for two years straight, I ran a, an event every month where anywhere from 50 to 75, 80, 90 people came and I served dinner. I had a really great, like we served dinner at a really nice place and, you know, it cost me a lot of money to do and I didn't charge anything to anybody. And uh, so we had some frequent flyers and the, the running joke among my staff and I was that uh, they're here for dinner, right? Because if I meet you five times over a five month period and in the five months you meet me, you're becoming a real estate investor, but haven't made an offer, then you're not ever probably going to be a real estate investor. So I, I used to joke, I'm like, hey, you're here for dinner, great. I hope you like it. We are doing chicken this time. You know, this month it's steak and fish, you know, whatever. So, um, but, but let's do this. Let's commit to something different this year. Let's do it differently. Let's not repeat the behavior about what's easy. Let's do something different than that and try to create some real wealth for us. 
So uh, first, I have to dispel some myths. So uh, um, uh, today, I I, uh, uh, I was working on this presentation, and my uh, wife and assistant Jojo were out in the living room, and I'm, I've been working from home uh, just to uh, kind of fit that in there. Um, so my wife and my assistant Jojo were in the living room, and I walk out, and they're watching HGTV. Um, the guy who's the star of Flip or Flop. Uh, has a new show and I haven't seen it. I don't know anything about it, but he, uh, he was, he was flipping a house with somebody, right? He's working on a flip. And, um, and so here's the formula, right? HETV has a formula. I hate these shows. Uh, everybody around me likes them. So they're on more than I'm comfortable with, but whatever. So here's the rule, buy a house, uh, any house. It really doesn't matter what house it is. It doesn't matter if it's terrible. It doesn't matter if, you know, there's uh, garbage in it or not garbage in it. It doesn't matter. Just buy a house. Any house works. Hire a contractor. Uh, the cheapest one is always the right one. Then you should fire that contractor because he wasn't any good. And you hire the next cheapest contractor. Uh, yell a lot about unexpected problems because that's really important that you yell a lot. Uh, in my business, there's almost no yelling. I'm not a big fan of yelling. Uh, we don't have a lot of drama. Sometimes we have problems, but then we fix them because we're grownups. Um, I've never worked on a job site where everybody yells, but it sounds like a terrible place to work. Change the ARV. So you have unexpected problems. That means costs, right? So you change the ARV to account for the new cost. So like, oh, bad news. We had to spend an extra 30000 but it's okay because the extra work raised the value of the house by 50000 Uh Let's be clear. That's not how real estate works. Sell the home for more than the new ARV. That's the other thing I love is that, that it sells for even more than the increased ARV. So one of two things is true. Either you don't understand what an after repaired value is, uh, or you're really bad at figuring out what one is. Um, and, it, and of course, at the end, you make a ton of money. No matter what goes wrong, you make a ton of money. Uh, here's the thing about real estate. I can tell you about flipping houses, and I flipped dozens of houses. Uh, I have made a lot of money. I've also lost... 80, 90,000 bucks on a house. I can tell you how you can do that if you want, but, uh, and I can tell you about some of the pitfalls that go there, but, but it doesn't work this way, right? Things go bad on you. They cost you money. They never make you money. It's just not how it works. So this model of real estate investing, that's, that's fictional, right? That's just TV. Um, you know, the, the stories that they tell are about keeping you engaged with the television and about paying attention to the advertisers that buy space on those shows. Um, they're not about actually creating knowledge. So this is good entertainment, but it's not really about how you're going to build a business. So don't use it as one, right? Uh, I had a, I have a guy I know who, um, who was in, involved in the, he's buying, buys and sells used products for the most part. And he would buy uh, storage units and uh, storage lockers. And when storage wars came out and every locker had like treasure in it, he said uh, he used to buy lockers for like $25, $50, a hundred bucks. He goes, all of a sudden there were people bidding a thousand dollars on lockers. And he goes, what do you see? It's five boxes. It's five boxes. You don't know if they're Christmas decorations. You don't know what they are. Why are you assuming that they're worth a thousand bucks? And the answer is, is because they saw a TV show about how the Mona Lisa's, you know, twin sister could be in there. She's not, she's just not. So don't let this be your plan because this is really a formula for how you lose a lot of money. So those are easy things though. And this, this conversation is about doing hard things. 
So what are hard things? Hard things are meeting people. And I don't mean meeting people by like learning people's names. I mean meeting people in a meaningful way, right? You understand what they do and they understand what you do. You have a conversation. You figure out how to be of service to one another. Uh, often that means that you're a client, by the way. Uh, contacting real estate agents, that's hard. It's, when you're at the beginning of your business, it's very intimidating. Uh, and listen, I contact agents all the time. And, you know, uh, it was funny. My assistant is working on, so we were looking at properties yesterday. We looked at like eight or nine properties yesterday. And um, some of the agents who deal with investors quite a bit really aren't that friendly. They're not really very good at it, uh, at being real estate agents. So they became um, real estate agents to banks uh, because there's not a lot of personality involved in dealing with real estate investors because we're business people. And so uh, that's a whole different animal, right? Because it's because creating a relationship with somebody who's not very friendly is hard. So contacting agents, uh, speaking with lenders. If you've never done a deal and you want to do a deal, that is absolutely the place I would start because they know wholesalers. They know contractors. They know other real estate investors. They know everybody who can be of service in your business. Find a local lender, somebody you can work with. Figuring out rehab budgets, that's hard. That's hard. I'm going to tell you, I've been doing this for almost six years now. And uh, that is hands down the hardest thing we do is try to figure out how much it's going to cost to renovate a house. Uh, here's the thing. I have completed over a hundred projects, probably well over a hundred projects at this point. Uh, do you know, I've never been right. You would think at some point law of averages would say, I, I, I nailed it. I nailed it. It's never happened. You know, I, we just finished one and I had projected a budget of uh, 53,500 bucks. So this was the closest I ever came. In the end, we spent $52,700. It's the closest I ever came was that one right there. I had a, a, just to give you another story to talk about how far away I can be. I, I did a, a, a house, uh, it was a small house. We bought it for very little money because we were told it was gonna need a new water line and it was very hard to do the water line. And we were told the septic system was no good because um, we had a report from a prior inspector. So we just used that. And so I budgeted $80,000 for the renovations. When we got into the project and we started doing it, the septic system was not bad. We had it reach, I had it inspected by a company to, to sell us the repair. So instead of needing a $35,000 septic, it needed a $2,400 septic tank. And um, the, the uh, water line that was broken was, was broken, but it was broken like three feet outside the foundation. And we just dug it up with a shovel and fixed it. It took us like two hours to make the repair. And so all of a sudden my $80,000 budget became like 26,000 bucks is what we spent in the end. It was great. So I'm just saying as professional as I am, the fact that I own a construction company, I've never been right. I've never been right. I've never nailed it. So, so don't like free yourself from that expectation is what I'm saying. Free yourself from it. it you don't have to worry about it. You're not going to be right. So throw it out. Forget being right. Let's just be close. Horseshoes and hand grenades and real estate. You just got to be close. So I want you to focus on uh, trying to, to, to figure out those numbers and coming up with a plan on how we're going to uh, approach those numbers. Uh, and we're going to talk about how to do that in a minute. 
This is one of the hardest ones. You want to talk about a hard thing, uh, being accountable to goals. So if you don't uh, have a, a, a sheet where you keep a list of everything you're going to do, uh, this is like a, a budget that we were working out for a project, right? If you don't have a, a clipboard or um, a whiteboard in your house, in your in your office or your house, wherever you're working from, if you don't have a spreadsheet that has some accountability to it, key performance indicators and things you're going to do, and you don't have goals that are broken down through a timeline, well, then you're probably never going to get where you're going. You're never going to get there because you don't have a plan. You don't know, you know, if you want to take a long trip, you, you use some sort of mapping tool, right? To figure out where you're going to stop to spend the night. So you book hotels, you're going to figure out uh, how far out the first rest stop is, right? If you're taking a big trip with a lot of people, you know, we take a trip with my church. There's like 80 people that go, we figure out where lunch is going to be weeks in advance. We figure out where we're going to stay. Cause you can't just, you can't just go out there and drive. We know where we're going, right? That's our big picture goals, but it's about mapping out the points in between so that we can get there in an effective way. So uh, being accountable to those goals doesn't mean just setting those goals because that's actually kind of the easy part. Um, it's actually doing something with those goals and then being accountable for those results. Uh, this is a big one for me, uh, income producing activity. If you do not take any income producing activity, uh, any income producing action, then you're never going to make any money. So in my business, we do everything. Everything is important. Uh, this is, so I told you yesterday I had closings. So this right here is from yesterday's closing, right? Uh, this is uh, about $24,000. Uh, I had, uh, that is money in the bank, except it's not in the bank yet. And the reason why it's not in the bank yet is because I had income producing activity to do. This is money I already made. So I don't need to worry about that money. I already made it. So the question becomes, what money am I going to make today? So we didn't have time to go to the bank today. Didn't matter to me though, because I know where that money is. We want to focus on the income producing activity that's going to create wealth for tomorrow. So I told you yesterday, we had, we had looked at eight or nine properties. So today we were negotiating one of those properties. We're working to get it under contract. That's, was much more important to me than going to the bank because that's about how I'm going to create money for tomorrow. I'll get to the bank eventually. So always focus on the income producing activity. Networking. So uh, this is really important. Networking is really not that hard as long as you do it with intention. Um, so you have local networking events you can use. So we can talk about where to do it, right? Local networking events are a great place. Uh, Facebook groups are awesome. Uh, I use Facebook uh, periodically. Um, we're on it all the time promoting our businesses, but um, there's a few people I like that I respond to all the time that are friends of mine. But, but Facebook is a great tool for networking with other investors. And a lot of that is, hey, who do you know? Being a part of a, a group and going, hey, who do you know who does roofs in this area? Uh, who can you recommend as an attorney? Um, you know, that, that information is good to gather. And it's not, I wouldn't fire those questions off one after the other, but I would suggest that you start to fill in that information. And more than that, pay attention to when other people ask those questions, because you'll have a lot of the same questions, but Facebook is a great place to do that. So how does networking work on Facebook? It's actually pretty simple. You ready? Somebody posts a question and says, hey, who would you recommend for roofing? 
somebody answers and says, Joe Smith. And so then you email them <coughs> or send them a Facebook message and go, tell me about your experience with Joe Smith. I'm looking for a roofer also. Or what did Joe Smith do for you? And it starts a conversation. <coughs> and then by having that conversation, you can begin to create a relationship. Your name becomes recognizable. So, so be in the conversation is kind of what I'm suggesting. <coughs> Excuse me. Call real estate investors. I'm a huge fan of the phone. Huge fan. I think this is your biggest asset and your best tool. Here's what's interesting. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm thinking about this because uh, 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 Casper, I saw you, you put your phone number down below. Um, I was at a real estate uh, meetup event and I, um, and I, there was like 150 people in the room and I had said, I'm like, Hey, you know, at the end of this thing, I'm going to, I was doing the question and answer period. And the guy said, well, how do we get a hold of you? I'm like, Oh, I'm going to post my cell phone number. I said, here's the thing. I can bet you, I'm going to give 150 people my cell phone number and say, Hey, do you have any questions? Give me a call. And at the end of this tomorrow, I'm going to get zero phone calls. As I'm just telling you, I might get one phone call. I make it one 150 people just listen to me speak about the topic of real estate investing. They all want to be real estate investors. And I promise I have something to teach everybody in this room. Uh, but only one person is going to call me. And then, and a guy in the back goes challenge accepted. So the next day, uh, he got like 10 people to call me. My point is, is that that was my experience is that I give out my cell phone number all the time. And it's my cell phone number. I don't have two cell phones. It's the only one I have. I answer it. 9.30 at night, I answered on vacation. I figured out how to answer my phone on cruise ships. Uh, I, I answer my phone when I'm out of the country. Um, you know, I, uh, my wife likes to, when we travel, to leave the country because it's harder for me to answer my cell phone. My point is, is that uh, it's amazing how few people actually take me up on the offer. And it's genuine. Uh, call real estate investors. Uh, real estate investors, by and large, are the most generous group of people I've ever met with their time. Uh, they give it away very freely. Tell people lots of stuff. That doesn't mean you should waste my time, right? So if you've got a pointed question, I can give you a pointed answer. We can talk a little bit, a little jibber-jabber. But um, uh, what you can't do is call me and go, hey, Chris, how do I wholesale houses? That's not a telephone 15-minute, five-minute phone conversation. That's a real investment for time. You know, I, I have a, uh, it's funny. I was telling somebody about like, uh, they were like, Hey, how do you find houses? And I'm like, well, big picture, this is what I do. And they're like, no, no, no but how do you do that? And I was like, I'm like, dude, I, I teach a full day class on just that. Like just the question you asked me, I li it literally takes me six hours to communicate that information. I'm, I spent years developing my process. It takes hours to communicate that. It's not a, 10 minute phone conversation. So, so try to make sense when you're, when you're talking to somebody, make sure you have a purpose for the call and that purpose is achieved and stay focused on it. Investor groups. Uh, every market in New Jersey has some sort of real estate investor association. Uh, be a member. You know, we have South Jersey RIA, we have the uh, Garden State Real Estate Investors Club, um, New Jersey REI, um, be a part of those groups, uh, be a member. They typically have a small fee, pay it. You know, I, I'm a professional member of more than one group. Uh, I probably spend a few thousand dollars on memberships every year. Um, it's worth it. 
uh, it gives you a place to go for information uh, and a place to go for contacts, which is a big deal. Online training events like this one, um, you know, these are great places to meet other investors, right? Everybody who's in here has their name posted. Um, and at the end, there should be some way to communicate how you can contact one another. You should put that in the contact strip. You find each other on Facebook. Um, uh, make sure that you're a, a part of that, this, uh, this group, right? Oh, I was going to say, uh, in the chat, though, you want to change your responses. By the way, Casper, I don't know if everybody saw your thing. Uh, you should repost that with all panelists and attendees, because I think you just might have sent that to the panelists. So you should send it to everybody. Uh, but, Cindy, you're very welcome, by the way. But my point is, Cindy, Cindy found me on Facebook, right? And so I know I had posted my social media, so that's easy to do. Uh, but if you pay attention to the company names and stuff, you can find pretty much everybody on Facebook. So find people on Facebook. Um, you know, participate in online training. And that, that's a way to take this person that you met online at a meetup, at a, a, a networking or a training event like this and translate that into something that is productive for you in your actual uh, everyday life. All right, stay on those things. Uh, speak with real estate agents. Speak with them all the time. Call new ones. Don't just play with the old ones. Get a lot of new toys. In the state of New Jersey, there's something like 20,000 real estate agents. Um, uh, I don't know all of them. Uh, as you become more proficient, you'll find opportunity to communicate with um, more of them more effectively, right? Because you'll develop a reputation. Uh, work within offices. Uh, use your connections. Meet people. Speak with real estate agents. Um, real estate agents are a great source for information. Um, speak with your lenders, um, network with them, right? Um, see how you can help them in their business. Like be a customer, right? If you're a customer and, a re and you refer people to them, they're going to remember your name. Uh, so before I'm a, so like, a, a, I'll give you an example. I was referred to Real Estate IQ uh, through a friend of mine, Martin Chera, who's uh, from Express Capital. He did a series on here. And so I was invited to do one as well. Uh, and I was a speaker in, in his series. And so I was invited to do this as well. I refer people to Marty all the time. He's a great guy. He's a good friend of mine. If you're looking for, to borrow money, call Marty. If you don't know how to get uh, a hold of Marty, call me. Tell you, send me a Facebook message. I'll help you connect with him. He's a great guy. Those referrals, though, when I refer people to him and he refers people to me, that's how our business friendship works, right? That creates value. In the end, networking is about connecting with resources. So it's not just about names, phone numbers, and emails. Those are tools to create connection, but those are not connection in themselves, right? We're looking for actual connection. You need to know their name and they know yours. That's a connection. It's somebody that you're in relationship with in some way. And everybody you meet, you should be, your goal should be to create relationship with that person not for the purpose of wealth, but that is its effect, right? By knowing lenders and being generous with my time and referrals and uh, being generous to real estate investors with my time and information, I'm able to create wealth, right? Like um, Gary V, who I'm a big fan of Gary V's. Gary V says, uh, uh, give it away and they'll pay you anyway. He gives all his information away for free and people pay him anyway. 
Because here's the thing is that just because you gave away all this information doesn't mean that there's this, this other giant cache of information that isn't given away. So you don't have to charge for everything you do. I don't charge for many of the things I do. But by giving away your time, by being generous with your time and creating connection for other people and, and creating a relationship with people, I promise it's going to create wealth for you because that's how it works because they're going to want to pay you back. So this is one of the hard ones. We talked about how rehab costs, right? Rehab costs are uh, hands down the hardest thing we're going to do, right? Um, hands down, it's the hardest thing to calculate. It's the hardest thing to understand. Unless you come from a construction background, this is tough, right? So how do we uh, approach this effectively, right? How do we create um, enough data that we can we can accurately uh, figure out rehab costs, especially if we've never rehabbed a house before, right? So the first step is we network for information. So if you're a um, real estate investor and you're looking to, uh, and, and we, we just talked about creating that network, who in that network could help you understand rehab costs? Well, other investors, right? Other investors, if you're looking at a $100,000 uh, house that needs some level of rehab and is likely to be worth 300,000, it's this size and it's this level of work and you know other investors, then you can say, hey, have you done a project like this one? And they'll say, yeah, yeah, I've done a few. And how much did that cost you to rehab it? Would you mind sharing your rehab budget? <clears throat> Would you mind sharing it with me? they might've used a hard money lender. And if they did, you can say, hey, would you, would you mind sharing your rehab budget and your scope of work? That's a cheat sheet. Because what that is, is that's about what is possible, right? Because if somebody, it, here's the thing. So uh, there's a story of the four minute mile. And, and some of you may know this, but I'm gonna bore you anyway. Uh, there was a guy who was a runner and it was the early 1900s and nobody had run a mile faster than four minutes. I think it was like 1920 or something. And um, finally, and the doctors actually believed, there were doctors who literally believed it was medically impossible for a person to drop, to run faster than a four minute mile. And so uh, <clears throat> all of a sudden there was a kid who could do it. He ran a mile in under four minutes and nobody had ever done that before. The next year, 18 runners did it around the world. Why couldn't they run faster than a four minute mile before that? Because they didn't believe it was possible. So by collecting the data from investors <coughs> and calling other investors, they can then take that scope, you can take that scope of work and rehab budget, which is really just the emailed spreadsheet, right? And you'd be like, hey, is my house like this one? And you can look at the pictures of the house that they did and you can see how much it sold for and you can see how much they bought it for because that's all part of the public record. So then you can start to understand how rehab budgets work in your market. See, here's the thing, I'm in New Jersey. The cost to renovate a house in New Jersey is totally different than the cost to renovate a house in Virginia. The cost to renovate a house in North Jersey, Central Jersey, and South Jersey is completely different. So my information and my cost doesn't necessarily translate to your market and you, but if you're in relationship with investors that are local to you, that information absolutely translates. Does that make sense to everybody? Can I just get a yes in the because I don't want to leave that until we kind of get some clarity. I'll give you a second while we talk about it. Yes. All right. Good. Uh, that's 
Um, uh, so Cindy, that's a good question. So I'll pause for a second. So what if your market is really expensive? Uh, so let me get, so I'm in central New Jersey. Uh, Cindy, where do you, and where are you located? Massachusetts. Awesome. We're in the same market. Uh, so I have a coaching student up in Massachusetts and that's one of the things she struggles with. Everything's so expensive. Here's the thing about expensive. Your rehab budgets are higher, right? So are the property values. It's all proportional. What does it matter? See, here's the thing about this game, Cindy, and for all of you, right? This is really a game of math. So if you, if you like those uh, uh, math games when you were a kid, like when, you know, when I was little, they, they had like computers were just kind of becoming a thing and they had like these math games where you could, you fought the monster by doing addition and subtraction, right? Uh, that's our game. I, I do a lot of math. I have spreadsheets. And if you're not into the math, it's, it's hard to be successful in this business because if what you're into is the interior design, that's a very small part of our business. Most of our businesses, that's the fun part. I'm not going to say that it's not fun, but that's not the, the important part. Our business is just about math. So here's the thing, Cindy, and for all of you that are in expensive markets, it's just about math. So what happens is, is all you need to do is find houses that fit the numbers. And there are real estate investors in your market that are doing that right now. So if you're not able to do it, it's because you don't know how. It's not because it can't be done. That's the four-minute mile story, right? You're the one standing by. You're like, I heard it was medically impossible. Because it's so expensive, it's too hard to do it. It's medically impossible to, to run the real estate business. But here's the thing. I know investors that run successful businesses in Massachusetts. So is it impossible or do you just not know how, right? I had a, a coaching student of mine who was a... Um, there's a joke in our business about uh, uh, there's, there's a, a lot of Orthodox Jews in real estate in North Jersey, right? So uh, we call them the Brooklyn Jews, right? They come in and they kind of have their own process that they go through. And so I had this guy that was a coaching student of mine and he was competing against this family of buyers. And more than once, this one family kept beating him out. And he's like, you don't understand, Chris, they're overpaying for every house. They can't be making any money. And I said to him, like, hey, George, I understand what you're saying and I understand why you're saying it because it gives you an excuse for not being successful. Here's my question for you though. Next month, are you going to run into those same investors? He goes, yeah, every month. I go, well, are you going to run into them the month after that? And he goes, yeah, every month. I've been dealing with them for years. I go, well, George, do you think they might be making money? I mean, if they're showing up year after year, month after month, is it likely that they're making money? He's like, well, I guess they have to be. Okay, well, if they have to be making money, then your real answer is, I don't know how they're making money. And so my response to him was, did you ask them? Have you talked to them about how they're making money? And so that became the conversation, right? Now it's about talking to them and seeing if we can figure out how they were making money. So for you, Cindy, saying Massachusetts is very expensive, so is New Jersey, you have to figure it out. And if we go back to the beginning, right? We're still on step one of our rehab cost. Uh, network for information. Find out how other investors are making it work. And then maybe you should just do what they do. I hope that makes sense to you. Um, all right. Hard stuff. Uh, visit properties. Uh, I can't tell you how many people who want to be real estate investors 
I'll talk to that in a second, Cindy. Uh, Cindy's got a question about, we have some properties now. Is it bad to consider out of state? I'll, I'll talk to you about that in one second. Uh, visit properties. This is a hard thing, man. People, in order to get into a property, you either have to be a real estate agent, you have to talk to property owners, or you have to talk to real estate agents. And so <clears throat> since everybody has a hard time picking up the phone, it's hard to get into properties. <clears throat> if you want to understand what rehab costs are, you should visit properties that are uh, on the market and available. So they're pre-renovation. You should look at properties that are under renovation. That means while you're driving to that property, if you see properties under construction, you should stop by. Uh, and you should look at properties that are after renovation. So for me, I worked in one little town when I first started my business. I started in just one town. I only worked in that town and I was super hyper-focused on it. What I did there though, was I used to go to open houses all the time. I used to go see every house that I could. Every weekend I would go look at houses uh, because I wanted to know what was on the market. I wanted to see what they look like and not just not just looked at the pictures on Zillow, but I wanted to see what it smelled like inside, see what it felt like. That tile that doesn't look bad in a photo may actually be pretty dingy. So I wanted to understand what was the, what made a house worth $350,000. What does a $350,000 house look like? Let's go find out. You got to go look at it. So walk into houses, meet people, get some business cards, ask questions with a purpose, Right. Be intentional about what you're going to do. Um, uh, participate in what's happening, right? In your market. Uh, here's another big one. Take notes and break down a rehab. So one of the things I had said before was about networking for information, collecting data, right? In the form of spreadsheets and draw schedules is an awesome way to do it. Lenders will literally share that with you. They'll share what other investors are doing, particularly a local lender. They want to see you succeed. They want you to see you be a repeat buyer. They want to see you pay back loans. So they're on your team. So ask them for stuff. I can't tell you how many people are, uh, uh, they refuse to reach out to their lenders to ask questions. They'll wait until it's so bad they don't know what to do and they're completely screwed. Ask questions with a purpose, take notes and break down a rehab. Have a spreadsheet, put all the data in the spreadsheet. If you know uh, this kitchen is a 10 by 10 kitchen and this investor did it for $12,000 and this investor had a 14 by 10 kitchen and this one was 13,000 bucks and this one was this much, now you can figure out how much a kitchen is supposed to cost. That's it. There's no magic to it. Collect data and then put it in a spreadsheet and then you'll be able to kick it out. Will it answer every question for you? No, because there's some things that you can't put on a spreadsheet. But your first rehabs are, should be, if you're smart, they should be much more basic rehabs. And what I mean by basic rehabs is they should be rehabs that are much more focused on cosmetic, mechanicals, things like that, not ones, and ones that can be easily calculated out using a spreadsheet and dollar cost averaging. Uh, and you should not be doing ones where you're like, hey, we're going to Add a big addition to a house or do an add a level. Like that's stuff that you should save for a little bit later into your career because that data is a little harder to, harder to calculate. It's easier to calculate the cosmetic rehab, right? Siding, windows, doors, paint, uh, trim, flooring, kitchens, and bathrooms. That's what you want to figure out. Start there. Uh, 
But listen, at the end of the day, as complicated this, as this sounds, um, we can build it. Yes, we can. I loved Bob the Builder, right? My kids loved Bob the Builder. And one of the things that I loved about Bob the Builder is that whenever there was a problem, it was exciting. It was an opportunity. Be accountable. Um, work with other investors. Um, that's an important thing. Uh, partnerships are good. Uh, this business, uh, buy from wholesalers, sell to investors, uh, be a wholesaler, uh, work with other investors, uh, do stuff for them, let them do stuff for you, be a client of other people. That's a great way to build a, uh, to build a network. It also is a great way to find yourself being accountable, right? So if you tell somebody you're going to do something, it's easier to, to get it done then or more likely to get it done. Write down your goals. Uh, look at them all the time. Plan weekly and monthly key performance indicators. That's a really important one. Weekly and monthly. What am I gonna do this week? And what am I gonna do this month? And they should build on one another. Here's another one. Be mentored or coached. I'm not a big fan, and you should hear this. There's a lot of people that are gonna go, sure, I'll work with you. You invest the money and I will take half the profits, but I'll mentor you during it. That's a very expensive way to buy an education. Have a mentor or a coach is somebody that you engage for that purpose. Uh, it's very hard. And, I, and, and honestly, I tried. I tried to be a mentor while we did a project together. And what I found was I was just doing work and then they were just going, yeah, but what happened? And I'm going, yeah, I had to make decisions, so I did them, right? It really wasn't an opportunity for them to learn because I was the one that was present and doing the work. So it really wasn't them learning. They were investing alongside me. I was using their money, but they didn't really learn a ton. And it, it's not a great model. So just think about it before you do it. You really want somebody who's going to mentor you or coach you. Uh, my advice is, and I might be biased here since I'm a paid coach, is, is pay a coach. You know, uh, there's lots of free advice in the world. The best advice is rarely free. That's what I know. But listen, at the end of the day, if you want to build an empire, it takes an army. You can't do this on your own. This is a business that's about working together and working with other investors to achieve a goal. So you want to keep moving in a direction. I'm running long on time. That's why I'm kind of rushing a little bit here. Income producing, producing activity. Uh, what are income producing activities in real estate? Look at properties. Look at properties. But if you look at properties, and you don't do anything with it. It doesn't get you any money, right? So you have to commit to making offers. So look at properties and make offers. And you got to figure out a ratio for what you want that to look like. I want to make, I want to look at three properties and make one offer every time I go out. Okay. And now that's your goal. Speak with, a, with many real estate agents. Don't just use one. You'll burn one out. Plus, you're limiting your access to resources, so work with more than one agent. Don't be exclusive with anybody. Unless they're a business partner of yours, and even then, you should consider working with multiple people. Know your numbers. This is important. Knowing your numbers means that you understand at what number you will invest your capital. That way, you know how to take action or know when to take action. One of the hardest things to do in real estate it, it, at the beginning is to pull the trigger and do the thing. I used to make, when I started my business, I would make one offer at a time. I'd make an offer and then I'd wait to hear what happened. 
sometimes for two weeks. And I'd wait and I'd wait and I'd sit by the phone and I'd wait and I'd text my agent and then I'd wait some more and I'd text my agent and I wouldn't hear anything. And they'd never, ever, ever get back to me about anything. That was a mistake. So now what I do is I make offers and I keep making offers. I keep making offers and I make offers on a continuous basis. And it doesn't matter who says yes or who says no, just make offers. You can always change your mind. You can always take it back, but make offers and know your numbers. Cause if you know your numbers, you'll know when to say yes. And God forbid you make 10 offers and 10 get accepted. The very worst thing that happens is you get to pick the very best deal for you and take that one. You get choices. That's all. But most importantly, uh, if you want to produce income, you have to act. You just, you got to do something. You just, you got to. That's, that's a hard thing to do, but act. So listen, my, my name is Chris Anderson and I'm a, a real estate coach. If you've got questions uh, and you don't know where to start, I'm, I, I, we're going to answer some questions in a second. So if you want to start putting them in the questions box, uh, that would be helpful or put them in the chat and I'll look at them as I go. Uh, if you're interested in what we do, go to betterflips.com. If you go to betterflips.com, we'll, there's a link there to get a free uh, fix and flip calculator. It includes a training that we do. Um, we'll keep you updated on the betterflips.com events and opportunities we have to participate with us. Um, one of the big themes of my business is your network is your net worth. That's a really common things to hear. Uh, but it, it, it's meaningful and it's profound, but only if you choose to use it that way. Right. So, uh, that's my social media engage with me, talk to me. Uh, you can find me there. I'm easy to get a hold of, um, uh, find us, talk to us. My assistant Jojo's great people. You'll love her. Um, but that is our presentation for today. Uh, next week, uh, is the final in this series. Um, and we're going to be talking about, um, what are we talking about next week? I, it eluded me right now. I can't it's, remember next uh, week's topic. Secret well, sauce relationship. Oh, Chris. yes. I apologize. Thank you so much. Next week is the secret sauce, right? Um, yeah. this is the, uh, the best, one of the, my favorite conversations to have is the one that goes like this. Um, uh, what's your, the secret to success in real estate? And you go, oh, it's really very simple. Uh, I'll tell you next week. <laughs> no, the secret sauce is relationships. So next week, we're going to talk about how to build relationship intentionally, right? How we go about doing that. Um, so we do have one question in chat, right? Uh, Kyle, you want to say something before we get started? Yep. Let me just uh, share my screen first and go through uh, some REIQ slides before we go to the Q&A. Thank you Back so much for, break. yep, <laughs> exactly. Thank you so much for that really great presentation, uh, Chris. And it's really nice to take note of the word act. It's the shortest word, most probably in the presentation, but it's the hardest thing that you would do, just like you said. <laughs> but 100%. you need to do that one to kick off your business or to help your business. So here we go. Uh, I'm going to share my slides first. Uh, this event is brought to you by Real Estate IQ, the number one in deal finding 45,000 leads every month. And our guarantee is you will always find a deal with Real Estate IQ. And we would appreciate your feedback. So at the end of this webinar, you'll be getting a link for a survey or 
a feedback form and we'd be happy if you'd uh, fill up that one. You'll be getting that after this webinar, uh, the moment you'll um, leave this webinar room. And here's our customer service details. Uh, this will be posted on the chat box. It will be posted by my partner, Jeff. So you could copy and paste that one on your computer and we'll guarantee you a two-hour response if you call our customer service. And we also got freebies. And speaking of this freebies, you can check this out on this next poll that we have on your screen. We'll just, uh, we, we would want to know what freebies you're interested in. So if you may answer that next poll, please do. And if you forgot or if you haven't requested a 45-minute one-on-one deal finding training, you can drop it off the chat box. Uh, you just type it demo and we'll get your details and send it to our team so you can schedule or so we can schedule your free 45-minute one-on-one deal finding training. Or you can also register to our deal finding training webinars over at realestateiq.co slash events to know more about the tools of REIQ. And we have our community portal. It's like a Facebook for real estate and it's available over at community.realestateiq.co. You can visit that one and join various groups that you're interested in and you can uh, send in questions if you have to uh, our speakers over at that community. And like I said, you can visit realestateiq.co slash events to see uh, our free webinars. We host webinars all throughout the week and that's a lot of webinars. So you can check out what webinars you're interested in and you can register through that link on your screen. And it will also be on the chat box as I speak. And right now, I'll be giving back the floor to Chris for some Q&A, and you'll also see his contact details over at the chat box and on the screen right now. Chris? Thanks. Okay, so uh, Cindy had a question earlier, and I kind of uh, skipped over, but so let's go back to it because this is the time. Uh, you um, had a question. So, Cindy, your question was about uh, investing out of state. So, there's nothing wrong with investing out of state. Um, I'm not a big fan of it. Uh, here's why I'm an active manager of my properties. If you plan to actively manage your properties, then that's going to be harder for you to do when it's far away. I like to be able to see what I have. Uh, I don't own uh, very much, uh, very, I, I don't have a lot of money invested into the stock market. Um, because I can't influence the outcomes of the stock market, right? I, I can predict them and I can experience the ups and downs of the market, but I can't change the outcome. One of the things that I love about real estate is that I, I literally have the opportunity to create wealth for myself through um, turning distressed properties into performing properties, um, turning properties that are underperforming into fully performing. Um, that's what I enjoy. Uh, I told you about how yesterday we, we bought a house and the property we bought, the rents are like 30% under market value, right? So when I raise the rents, it, it cash flows now. When I raise the rents and get them to market value, it's going to cash flow like a banshee. That's my point there. 
So um, is it bad to consider it? No, but I, you need to understand what your investment goals are. Uh, I can also tell you about why it's better to buy in a more expensive market. Here's the thing. And I don't know what out-of-state markets you're looking at, uh, but, but this is what I uh, believe to be true, uh, is that you, um, if you want to create real uh, wealth for yourself, you're going to have to, that happens over time. If you understand all the math in, in real estate investing, one of the things you're going to figure out early on is that what you actually want is you want the most expensive property that cash flows at your goals. Um, and the reason why you want an expensive property is because uh, depreciation, which is about your tax advantages, appreciation is a percentage-based increase based on uh, the, the value of the house when you bought or the property when you bought it. Um, uh, you know, so, so you want to, I'm not muted, right? I just saw the message, Jeff, real estate, uh, whatever. Uh, so if you want to create, um, create wealth over time, a more expensive property is actually better for you. In order to invest out of state, you have to understand what the value of, uh, what, what percentages of rates of return you're trying to create. So, Cindy, in order to answer your question effectively, a little bit of follow-up data. Why don't you tell the group what kind of returns you're looking for? Like, what is what is your percentage return, right? If if you have a hundred thousand bucks and you lock it up, at what percentage would you lock up a hundred thousand dollars? Is the question. And then we can better answer that. And then we can say, you know, because if you, if the answer is ten percent, well, that you can do in almost every market out there. You just need a deal. If you're looking for a fifteen percent rate of return, then you just need a better deal. So let's figure out how to get a better deal in in Massachusetts. Or if you're like, hey, I don't want to. I'm not an active investor, and I don't want to hold properties in my state. I don't want to hold properties. Well, then, then don't hold properties in your state then invest out of state and let somebody else manage it. But you have less control over the results. Uh, Audrey, uh, you asked what are a couple of mistakes that I've made that we should watch out for? Um, my number one mistake, you ready? Uh, I did too little at the beginning and I didn't take enough income producing action. And it cost me at this point, probably a million dollars. Early on, I didn't go to networking events. I so all these things that I'm advising you to do, right? Like network for effect, go to real estate meetup events, be on Facebook, uh, engage with other investors, call lots of people. I didn't do any of those things. For the first year and a half of my business, I literally lived inside a bubble. Now I made hundreds of thousands of dollars living inside my bubble, but I didn't really create a magnitude of success until I stepped outside of that, right? What I did was I created a formula for my success and then I expanded on it. What I should have done has been expanding the whole time uh, because it's not, I, I, I made a lot of foolish errors because I didn't, I didn't know who to talk to. So, and I didn't reach out to anybody at the beginning. That's why I became such a fan of the phone. Um, you know, like, so for example, my first kitchens, I bought the kitchen cabinets at Lowe's. Uh, and, and I didn't know, uh, I didn't even do any research on Lowe's and like how much I could save if I did it differently. Like I didn't even understand that you could go to the, the wholesale counter. They have a, a bid room, right? They have a process for giving discounts to professionals. I paid full retail on all the lumber and materials I bought 
for the first almost year of my business because I didn't know it was out there. I didn't know it. I didn't take the time to do the research to understand it. So I can tell you about how I buy materials and how I analyze stuff now and how I'm much more intentional about that. I was intentional about a lot of things, but I didn't understand this side of the business. And so I didn't do anything with that information. If I had reached out outside that business and all it took was one conversation, the very first meetup event I ever went to, I walked in and I was talking to a guy and I'm like, hey, I've completed five, rent five flips. I made a whole bunch of money. I did some stuff. I own a couple of rental properties. <clears throat> and the guy goes, oh, where do you buy your materials from? I go, Lowe's. He goes, oh, you use their pro desk? I go, what's that? He's like, oh, you know, if you go to the pro desk, you can just show them the material and they'll send it to the bid room. If it's more than a thousand bucks, you can get a discount. He's like, I usually get 10% or more off. Well, on a house, on a renovation, my average reno at that point was about $100,000. You're probably buying $50,000 of materials. I probably bought $30,000 worth of those materials from Lowe's. $30,000 times 10 projects is 300,000 bucks. 10% of that is 30 grand. That one conversation would have made me 30,000 bucks in the year prior. So if you're looking for my biggest mistake, my biggest mistake was that I didn't build a network and, and network for effect. And so the second I changed that, the second I changed that, I grew enormously, enormously. I went from doing one, two, you know, one or two houses at a time to doing five or six projects at a time to doing seven or eight projects at a time. And now I can do as many as I want. I hope that uh, helps you, uh, Audrey. Um, let's look down. Uh, Cindy, you commented back. I think that's my problem. I invested in my husband, but he seems to be more ahead and I'm not because I still don't understand the numbers. I think that's where I need to start. Thanks, Chris. Uh, you do, Cindy, the numbers are really important. And you know what? I'll talk to Real Estate IQ. I can probably do a series on how to, how to do the numbers for flips and how to do one for real estate uh, buy and holds. Um, the numbers are really important. And I'll talk to those guys. If that's something that you think you, you should see, Cindy, I, I will talk to them about doing it. I've done those presentations before. Uh, Casper, could you please comment on what U.S. markets would go into the, would you go into wholesale fix and flip if you were 36 year old from Europe with $600,000 in own money and success in wholesaling back home? Uh, what U.S. market, where do you live, Casper? Uh, I think you said actually. Where do you live? On a business trip here in Miami for a few weeks. All right, you're in Florida. You know what sounds like a great market to invest in? Florida. Oh, you live in Latvia. So you want to wholesale in the United States and live in Latvia? Uh, that sounds hard to me. Uh, you know, what real estate markets, I, I, so first off, they're urban, right? Um, if you want to move to the United States, where do you want to live? Where, where do you want to live? Is it Florida? I don't know. My, the answer to my question, wherever you say, I was more curious than anything else. Wherever you say is I would invest where you live. Where do you want to live? That's, that's my point of the conversation is that if you go to every market in the United States, um, then every market in the United States is a good place to invest, right? Um, they're, they're, there's real estate markets everywhere. You can make money as a wholesaler and a real estate investor in an up market and in a down market. <laughs> Doesn't matter. 
It honestly doesn't matter because because remember, if we go back to the beginning of the conversation, this business is fundamentally about math. And if you do the math well, it doesn't matter if the market's going up, going down, going sideways. It doesn't matter because it's just math. So does that make sense to you? Um, that's That would be my point to you. So every city is good. There's some cities that are more active. You can probably figure that out from Facebook. I'm not an expert in the country and every market in the country. I'm an expert in New Jersey's real estate market. And I can tell you, New Jersey is a great, uh, great market, high taxes though, uh, which you're from Europe. So I don't know what taxes are like in Latvia, but having been to a number of countries in Europe where taxes are high, that may not bother you. Um, have you seen prices go up like crazy? Home yeah. So yes. Uh, a two by four in uh, Home Depot locally was about $3 for, I don't know, the last couple of years. Um, and right now it's actually right around six bucks a board right now. Um, I was looking the other day, it was $6.19 off the shelf. And we can get about 10% off of that. So it's like five fifty. dollars uh, That is 100% related to COVID and just a shortage of material. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's a temporary problem, but I don't know how temporary. Um, uh, lumber is a commodity and so it's regulated based on supply and demand uh, and the mills aren't running and trees aren't being cut at the same rate because of COVID and it's harder to transport goods and so that's the downside right now so lumber materials are way up uh, a lot of materials are up um, and that's okay it's because remember if we go back to our original statement it's just math let's just do math so now when you do your material costs for your addition or for your, you know, framing out the walls, your materials are 60, 70, 80% higher than they were uh, a year ago. So that can be calculated. And now you just need to find a deal that those numbers make sense. That's all this is. This, uh, fundamentally, this is a game of math. And so just, just do the math. I hope that makes sense to you. Uh, we are over our time, though. So if anybody had, doesn't have any last questions, I think we're all done. Uh, if you need to reach me, please feel free. Reach out to me. I'm very available. Do you any bling in the homes? What is that? I don't know what that, I don't know what that means. Do you do any bling in the homes? I don't know what that means. Uh, but no, our all, most of our rehabs are not very fancy. They're very... Uh, very, so, so when you do flips, um, you want them to appeal to as many people as possible. If you try to make them, uh, too much of one thing, you're, you're going to hurt yourself, right? Cause you limit your market. So I, I try to just, you know, we, everything we do is resale beige or resale gray. Um, my, my renos on my rentals are kind of the same thing. We use Linwood Sands, which is tan for the walls. And that's just the color that it is. And we have three other colors for the bedrooms and <clears throat> we do them all the same. We're very not about bling, if that makes sense to you. Uh, I do like, I do not do white houses though. So I am not cheap on the siding. I usually buy nicer siding, like brighter colors and stuff to make my house stand out. Uh, that's one thing I do for curb appeal. Even my rentals uh, typically don't get white. I actually, I never do white siding. Uh, sometimes if the siding's in good shape and it's white and it's in the budget, I'll even rip the siding off and replace it. How do you differentiate a house you're flipping versus buy and hold? Does flipping involve changing all the windows? Um, so it depends on what the windows are like, right? Um, 
we we do um so interestingly enough uh if i flip a house in a it has to do with your market right so my rentals in a market if it's a if it's a middle income market my flips and my rentals basically have the same finishes in them um, because it's, it's what people who live in those markets want. So, uh, I typically do granite countertops in every house we do rental or not rentals get granite countertops too. Um, and does flipping involve changing the windows? Sometimes, sometimes doing rentals involves changing all the windows too. It depends on the condition. If they're not in good shape, if they're not newer windows in good condition, if they're old windows, weighted windows, like I'm in New Jersey. So there's a lot of older homes. Um, so if the windows are crappy, we replace them. It's, it's something we budget for though. Do I like under cabinets uh, lights? Uh, yeah, I do that. So in most of my flips, I do that. So when I flip a house, uh, this is one thing I will tell you is if, uh, that's a good point, Audrey. If your market says um, everybody gets granite countertops and everybody gets white shaker cabinets and everybody gets oak floors, my house has to have oak floors, white cabinets and a granite countertop. The upgrade, I try to do one or two things that I can upgrade and put it above market. And so under cabinet lights are a good example of something that we do that's above market. Um, the other big thing we do is uh, recess lights is another big one. Uh, I do a lot of recess lights throughout the house rather than, um, rather than light fixtures because recess lights are often the next level up of finishes. So you do wanna have, so you can't pick everything but you should pick a, in a flip, you should pick a couple of things that will put you above market. Um, that way you can demand the top dollar. Uh, Cindy, I do do uh, Section 8. Uh, I think Section 8 is a, a great program for investors. It's a great program for people who are distressed and there are people who are biased, uh, people are biased against. Uh, I have some great Section 8 tenants. Um, actually, as a matter of fact, of all my tenants, the only tenants who aren't paying right now, none of the tenants who aren't paying are Section 8. So there's lots of advantages to Section 8, including getting paid the majority of your rent by the government. Um, so it's a big deal. It, it's a good program. I, I think it's an effective program. You mentioned granite countertops and rentals, and if they use knives and leave scratches on the countertops, it'll be difficult to get them polished, right? Uh, I don't know. It's never happened. I've never had a problem with it. I've never had a, a tenant damage granite countertops. Um, I guess it's possible, uh, but in the end, they would have a security deposit and they'd be responsible for any damage to the granite. So, you know. Uh, so I'm in New Jersey, Audrey. Pools and hot tubs are negatives. They're not positives. They actually detract from the value for the most part. Am I seeing a lot of unpaid rent? No, I do have a few tenants though. I'm seeing more unpaid rent. I'm seeing a lot of late rents though. Uh, but overall, ma the majority of our tenants are paying. We have three tenants that are significantly behind. Um, one was accepted, and all of them are having financial trouble. <clears throat> uh, actually, I shouldn't say that. Two of the three are having financial trouble. Um, one tenant is going into a government assistance program. She needs it. So we're going to get paid there. Another one uh, got signed up for New Jersey has a... Uh, rent assistance program. It's part of their new homeless homelessness prevention program. Um, and so she got accepted to the program. So we're going to get paid from her. Uh, the third tenant is, is actually has no reason not to pay us. He's literally taking advantage of the situation and refusing to pay us because he's a jerk. And that's a choice. But uh, um, that is the story. So yeah, there's some level of unpaid rent, right? 10% of America is out of work. So 
you know, it went up from 4% to 14% or something unemployment. So if 10% more people are unemployed, you should have 10% more people having a hard time. Uh, for me, it's less than 10% is having a hard time, but yes. Yes, it's not that bad. Uh, Section eight isn't bad. There are some challenges with it. You should know who those people are and listen, we should have a conversation. So uh, listen, I have to go though. Uh, We're approaching uh, when the foreclosures, when is the foreclosure due to lift? Uh, so you're talking about the, the, the fact that you're not able to be foreclosed on right now, um, the foreclosure ban. Um, uh, so nationally, it's after December 31st. Um, the health department, Department of Health had put it in until December 31st. We, in New Jersey, there's a limit till two months after the declared end of the COVID emergency. So in New Jersey, it's even longer than that, right? And if that is it, I have to go though. It's uh, nine o'clock. We're way over our time. It's 8.51. We will, uh, we will reconvene here next week. Tell your friends. It'll be fun. They can come too. Yep. Thank you so much for that uh, really great presentation and answering those questions, Chris. You've really learned a lot from you and we'd like to invite everyone for next week's session. Let me just pull uh, details on my screen right now. Here we go. So next week will be the fourth session. Topic will be secret sauce relationships. So hope to see you guys again on uh, that session. And Chris, thank you so much. And we hope to see you soon and see you again next week. Have a good night. Have a great day, everybody, and happy deal finding. For webinar schedules, follow us at our official social media accounts or visit us at www.realestateiq.co.